Hey, podcast listeners, hope you're doing well, and I hope you are winning contracts. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to share something with you that's working for our clients. Our federal access knowledge base is helping companies win contracts every single day. I regularly get emails from members thanking us and saying things like, hey, I just won a $2 million contract. Many of you have seen a video that Chris Danback shot for us at GovCon. Chris won two contracts totaling $30 million. One of our members, Eyal, emailed me this morning and said, the turning point that opened my eyes was using federal access to establish a professional and systematic business development and RFP process. I've now won two contracts worth $480,000. Federal access is helping a lot of companies win. It can help you too. So here's the deal. I have a special offer for you. Visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers today and get started for just $29. You're going to get access to a digital copy of the government sales manual, over 70 strategy videos, more than 30 webinars, 300 documents and templates, and one of my favorite pieces is SME support. So when you run into any issue, any challenge at all, you can email me directly for help. So go check out the special offer today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. The link is in the description below the podcast. So go check that out today, federal-access.com forward slash game changers. So you can get started for just $29 today. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everybody, Mike Lejeune here with Game Changers for Government Contractors, and we are going to be talking about how to get into government contracting. And so if you are brand new to government contracting, you're going to want to pay special attention to this episode. Omar, why don't you jump in, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah. Hey, my name is Omar. I'm the owner of Cerro Laxis. We've been in business almost 13 years now. And our core business is we've been helping bridge the gap between industry and government. So we've been mentoring, helping, supporting and coaching companies on how to do business with the government. Cool. You know, it's a it's an interesting time to be in business. And, you know, it's I don't know if you've seen this like we have. I know we've talked a little bit, but just the explosive growth during the covid phase uh, of of this year in 2020, where just clients, I guess they've had the time to reach out and start working and things. And we've just been a, uh, an industry that's really kind of exploded this year. And so um, it's, it's just, a, it's an interesting time. But with that, that means there's a, not only a lot of people who've been in the business trying to grow it, there's a lot of new people getting into this market. And I think that's what makes this topic really good for today is there's so many people trying to enter the market and they're running up against a lot of the same roadblocks. So I thought it'd be great if you could talk a little bit about how to get in this. Maybe we can start with your journey of how you got into government contracting. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny that you said that, um, is that I, I talk with people every day, uh, probably all all year since like February that are trying to get into the government and they're just exploring and trying to figure it out. And so and and so let me let me tell you a little bit about how I got into the government. And so I was basically a rookie 
green sales rep and I got a job over at Canon, which is a Fortune 100 company and they have a government marketing division and they took a chance on hiring me because I was not qualified, never, never did sales and ne never did anything with the government. And so basically when I got on there, I was fortunate enough that there were some really successful reps there. And what they did is they helped me. So I, uh, I followed them. I, I basically just tagged along with a lot of the really good ones. And I learned a lot. Um, and I was mentored. And actually my boss at that time had set all sorts of records that the company has just been promoted into management. So he really helped me understand how to do it. And so um, I didn't try to figure it out on my own. I figured, let me just, you know, let me just go for the people. Let me talk to the people who've actually done it, done it well, and let me not reinvent the wheel. You know, that's always been my, my motto is efficiency. If someone's already done it really well, let me look at it and let me just shape it the way that I want to do it and then run with it, right? And so um, I did that for several years. And basically what happens when, whenever you start new as a rep in a company, they never give you the good accounts, right? I mean, the top producers, they have the good accounts and everything else is not a good account. And so they're like, hey, Omar, listen, uh, I'll show you how to do it. These accounts right here are not producing and that's your job, you know? So basically that's what I learned. I learned how to actually get into the government from scratch. I had zero relationships, nothing. Uh, I was actually new to the area, actually. I had just moved to the DC metro area from, uh, from the West Coast. So I had no connection, nothing, knew nobody. So it's as green as can be. Um, and so basically I just followed the model um, that, they, uh, that they had already developed um, and I utilized it and lo and behold, I mean, in the first year I was, I was able to crack open some new accounts we did quite a bit of business and then the next year it just really blossomed. And um, basically it was, it was really meant like once someone showed me how to do it, it really made it easy for me to follow. You know, it's, uh, it's it, you know, and, and the, me the methodology is there. You can kind of creatively shape it into how your personality and to who you are and how you want to operate. But the activities and the things to do are pretty much standard. You just have to mold it into how you like to do it. Yeah, that, that that's awesome. You know, the, the, the thing that jumps out to me about what you just said, there's two things. One is the fact that you had people willing to work with you. I, I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. you, I see so many times where you get people in a sales situation and none of the other salespeople work with anybody else. And one of the first questions I always ask when I'm training a sales team is, who are your top folks? Mm -hmm. who, are the, who are the top folks? And what are they doing right? And we're like, well, we don't know what they're doing right. We don't know why they're the top and everybody else can't even catch them. They're like, well, why don't we sit down? Uh, they don't like to be bothered. Not, well, that's not a good excuse. Like these, <laughs> these people are getting this done. They're working for your company. They could train other people. Why is this a competition between them? Oh, well, because guess what? Traditionally, we like as sales directors or CEOs to make it a competition against each other instead of working together. I don't like that. I, I think that's really messed up. And the other thing you said was about how you know, they give you the worst accounts. I, I, I just don't understand. I, like, I understand why you don't get the best accounts because somebody already has those, but they literally give you leads that haven't answered the phone in like six years. 
Right. And you're like, you know, you know what I mean? It's it's <laughs> like here's a pile of leads that are total garbage. And if you know, and our best rock stars have not been able to crack this. So we're you don't know anything about our business, you don't know anything about these people, but if you could by chance pull off a miracle then we'll keep you around. That's how it kind of feels. And and so if, if you're running sales like that, there's a reason you can't keep salespeople, at least in uh, my opinion. Absolutely, Mike. I, I got to tell you, when I got into sales leadership, that was, um, is, listen, at the end of the day, the sales industry has the highest attrition rate, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because mo- the majority of your income is at risk. <clears throat> and so if they don't sell anything, they're not making money. And after a while, if they're not making money, they're going to go someplace else. Right. Right. So, but I'm with you 100%. Even, even when I got into leadership and I was running regions, I had, had all this responsibility, it was still the same model. And so basically you have people just coming on who are skilled and talented enough. Cause i you know, we like to think that we hired, right? Right. 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 And then, and then all of a sudden they come in and then, then they struggle and we, and we ask ourselves, well, why? I mean, you're, look, you interviewed really well, you know, you're, you know, when we did our due diligence, you were, you know, you were good performers where you're at and what happened? And so then, then just, just like what you just said is like, listen, are we actually setting up our people to succeed or are we setting them up to fail? And that's the question that I kept on bringing up and and, and it was like, well, you know, hey, wait a minute. We have all the people that are succeeding. Okay, well, 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 why? Like, how did that happen? But I agree with you 100%. And it's really not designed for new people to succeed initially. And, and typically, in most sales organizations, you'll find these people there for 10, 15, 20, sometimes 30 years. And they're getting all the good stuff. And then, uh, and then you have people that are coming in that are less than five years. They're just in and out the door. It's just a revolving door. So I agree with you 100%. Yeah. I, I think literally that, you know, if, um, and, and the other thing, and I think where they struggle is that they don't know how to analyze the sales process and reps to the extent to know what that problem is so that they can try to solve it. Cause some, some companies are actually sensitive to that and, and they're interested to do that, but they're not able to, because they haven't broken down the sales process to the extent where they can identify and pinpoint where the problem areas are so that they can dedicate some money and resources towards it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's just such a, a crazy concept to spend all this time and energy recruiting a person and then throwing them to the wolves. It, it, it's so wild. I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, Al Pacino, I think, and Colin Farrell, The Recruit, back in the day. I think it was early 2000. Have you seen that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was a while ago. Yeah. Now, now you're yeah. asking me to remember something. Yeah. Like, I don't know. That's not my strong suit. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. We were just talking about our memory. And so, it, what this it also reminds me of this of like sales recruiting where. You know, he's trying to befriend Colin Farrell through the early part to try and bring him into the CIA. And he's just he's sort of not being super nice, but he's being friendly and talking about things. And then he recruits him. He gets him in. And like literally on the first bathroom break of the day, Colin Farrell's like, hey, maybe we can catch up and talk about my dad. And he just stops him and says, look, buddy, we're not friends. I was being <laughs> nice to you during the recruiting phase, but now you're here. You know, so like, don't even talk to me, you know, and like, that's kind of how I feel a lot of these are where it's like, we're going to be nice and pull you in and do these sort of things. And I know we sort of derailed the conversation a little bit about sales, but I think it's, it's how we bring people into the organization to get them into government a lot of times. And so, so my, my advice is, is to kind of like flip the way you do this. Like when we were doing sales, I would actually say, look, you know, here, here are some accounts I think are going to close. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's some stuff I think is going to close stuff I've been working on. Let me help build you into this relationship as my person. Like you're the person who's going to be working on this and mm-hmm. I'm going to build you up to that client. And then I'm going to hand you off. So as, as the sales director, I had a load of clients. And when I brought in new salespeople, I'd been working a relationship and I'm like, Hey, you know, Josh is just going to nail this for you. He's going to be awesome. He's going to be better than me. He's better at this, 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 and this. And I would mm-hmm. set them up for success and I'd pass it on. And lo and behold, those people were just killing it. They were just, they were just bringing in the sales because it gave them a place to start with confidence. So I feel, I feel like we've almost gone instead of how to get into government contracting, it's like how to train your BD and salespeople and <laughs> set them up for success a little bit, which is all, which is all good stuff. But you know, when we were talking before we got on the podcast today, you were telling me about these two areas that are really critical when you first get into contracting. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what those two areas are and then we'll kind of dig in. Right. Yeah. That's uh, so from most of the companies, so I've been doing this now for over a decade where I've been helping companies and supporting them. And I've been selling into the government since the 90s, right, myself. And so basically what happens is how do you start? Like, okay, Omar, I want to do business with the government. Now what? And so the typical the typical scenarios or typical comments or feedback I get is, well, Omar, we went to the small business outreach and they said to just look at the bid boards and do it, go that way. And I'm like, okay, uh, how did that work out for you? And then, um, and then basically they say, well, we haven't done anything. I said, okay. So what happens is I like to do it a different way. Uh, and it's not different actually, but this is the way that the larger companies, this is the methodology that they use. And this is how they're able to get business year over year. So this is not like, Hey, Omar secret sauce. This has been done year over year for decades. Right. Right. And basically what you want to do is you want to do some research and you want to find out, you know what, who is buying what I'm selling? Number one, who's doing it, you know? And so there's all sorts of tools out there. There's free tools, there's paid tools, and maybe we can have another session just based on that because that's also very important as well. And then there you identify who's buying what you're selling. And in a lot of cases, you can actually get down into the specific divisions, offices, and sometimes you'll even get some actual contacts. So because this is, you know, U.S. pay, you know, U.S. tax dollars, you know, they have to, there is some transparency. So they do have to report this stuff. And so when they do that, there's systems out there that have this information. So basically what you want to do is you really want to go in there and identify maybe like two or three areas of the government agencies, like departments are too, are too big to start. Like you want to start with agencies. They're, they're, they're a lot smaller, uh, but they still have a lot of money. We're yeah. still talking an agency going to have billions of dollars, right? Um, and so there's plenty of money there. And basically identify that account. Hey, see, so you know what? They're buying a lot of what we do, a lot of it. Okay, well, you know what? That is a, that's, that's an account of interest. Okay, great. Now what? Okay, so now it's the time where we start to reach out. So now the question is, who do I reach out to? What do I say? How do I say it? Yeah. Right. It, it's not like in the commercial world, it's just about, hey, we do this and you just bang on as many doors as humanly possible and say, hey, we're the best at it. And we blah, 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 blah. Well, I call that the show up and throw up. So, you know, and I've been in sales management and sales leadership. That's not the right way to do government. So in government, it's different. And so what I like to do, at least my style, you know, like I said, you like to shape it around your style. I always I always like to come in and say, hey, listen, you know, I noticed after doing my research that you that your organization buys a lot of this. And you know what? I, I, I was hoping maybe that you can kind of help me understand or guide me on how I can do business with you. 
And so what happens is they'll typically open up and really my mission or intent in asking that is I want to find out a bunch of different information. Right. right, right. One, one is one, are you actually buying it? I'm confirming what I found, the information that I came across. Two is, well, how do you like to buy it? And hey, listen, are, are you buying it in smaller increments? Do you buy it under 10,000? Are you buying it in millions? And then, you know, how do you like to do that? Do you like to do that full and open or do you like to just do that? Hey, listen, you know, we typically give that to minority certifications or we like to do small business or, and on top of that, hey, there's a specific contract vehicle that we prefer. And if you're on that one, it makes our life easier. And then on top of that, I like to see like, you know, when do you typically do that? You know, like if, if, if you're typically buying that in, let's say September, <clears throat> you know, it, does it make sense for me to knock on your door in October? You know, so uh, these are very important pieces of information. And that right there is before I even sell them on what I do right. or what my customers do is I, I want to understand the account. So what happens is I'm really building my go to market strategy for that specific account. And, and that's basically what I learned in corporate America. Like once you know that account, one, you know how to navigate it Two, believe it or not, what happened to me was the government customer would say, Hey, Omar, listen, we got this thing. How, how would you, how, how would you do it? And so I started to become a trusted advisor. Mm -hmm. So when I became a trusted advisor that completely minimized and in a lot of cases eliminated competition, like, listen, Omar, yeah. I want you because you know how to make my life easy. Right, right. Right. You know how we work, you know, our process, you know, you know how to invoice us, you know, you're, 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 you're you know, you're paying your subs on time. Everything is operating smoothly. We really like the service. So, and that's really the goal. The goal is if you can become the trusted advisor of those people, then they are probably and highly likely going to use you again. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. And, you know, again, there's so many times I was talking, I was talking to a client yesterday and I said, you know, the mistake a lot of people make is you believe that you're going to go faster by doing it this way, where you're just going in and you're just blindly writing RFPs and all this stuff. And you think that's faster than slowing down on the front end and building relationships and understanding the client. And it's not. You, Abs you, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's key, man. What you just said was huge. And this is one of the first things that I, I like to set the right expectation with anyone I work with. And, and I'm pretty picky. So I, I don't work with, I don't take on anyone, even people, Hey, I want to work. Ah, well, cause I'm looking for relationships. Right? right. And, and, and basically I'm looking for longevity because the reality is it is going to take a little bit of time if you're not in that space. So if you're green, mm -hmm. you don't know anything about it. It's going to take you some time. So some of these contracts, if they're sizable, they have a longer leash. You know, they're going to take yep, 18 yep, months. Yep. But the interesting part is, and I just had a client and we went, we went through the process. It took almost two years. But the interesting part about the whole thing was that, you know what? There was no competition. They said, hey, listen, we want you guys. Do you guys have a... Um, um, you guys have like a small business or a minority company that you have a relationship with. And I was like, as a matter of fact, we do, because that's, that is what I do actually. So I mentor and I coach companies. So when we did that, we were able to get it into a sole source. Right. And then, so now the pricing, so our margins were much higher, yeah, you know, because yeah. now I don't have to worry about, you know, living on, you know, 10% margins or less, you know, now we're talking yeah. much larger margins and, and now we can really deliver a high level of service. And when I, and that's really what sells 
is that when you can just knock their socks off, like after all of that, you got to deliver. And when you deliver like, and, and they're just, wow, this is, we just were not expecting this level of service. They will never leave you. I mean, and right. the government, the good thing about the government is they're very, very loyal. Once you take care of them, they're like, Hey, I, I, why would I go anywhere else? I mean, you have not given me any reason to even want to shop this thing next time. Yeah, it, it's like the good and the bad about the government is they don't like change. So, you know, that's right. You have to change them, which they don't like, in order to get them to work with you. But once you get them to work with you, they don't like to change. So they don't want to leave you. And so that that's a that's a really good thing when once you get into the contract it you know it's it's very helpful you know the it, it, you know it's it's interesting to look at so many customers that are focused on just the volume of RFPs and, and those sort of things and just try to try to believe that that's the the silver bullet to winning and to hear you reinforcing what we're, we're talking about here about building the relationships and becoming a trusted advisor that really is a game changer for a lot of people where you you again you eliminate competition by just building the relationship and and so i i think it's i think people here build a relationship but they don't like get it a lot of times like what does that really mean like i hear i need to build a relationship doesn't that mean i need to win a contract no no i mean that's part of it but you know you can't perform on a contract until you actually build some sort of relationship with them and in that relationship it looks like a lot of different things to a lot of different people but you know having those conversations talking to them about their problems and what's going on and repeatedly showing up i think the the thing that i've seen is you know, if you really wanted to get in, into government contracting, keep showing up, you know, keep showing up at their events, keep showing up when they have a webinar, keep showing up on their LinkedIn when they're talking about things, keep showing up in their life and talking about stuff. And they know you're not going to just go away like everybody else, because like it's it's fresh in your mind that you're showing up, but mm-hmm. they're looking at it as who's Omar? Oh, he's the new guy. You know, OK, Omar's the new guy. Does anybody want to take bets on how? how long Omar is going to stick around. And they're doing that. They're not doing that to just you. They're doing that with 50 other people that just showed up this week. Like here's, here's the new class of clowns that showed up this week. I give, you know, 80% of them are not going to be here ever. Like we're never going to hear from these people again. And out of what's left out of the 20% that's left, we're going to hear one phone call from them. And then there's going to be 1% left or something along those lines. So they know this is coming and they're sort of waiting around to see who's going to come back the second, the third, the fourth time, because most people don't have the patience. Right. You know, it's interesting that you said that because that's exactly it's um, it's it's like we're reading from this. It's it's almost like I gave you a script and it's and I didn't, obviously. <laughs> we could have. But yeah, yeah, we could have. Yeah, but yeah. but 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 that's exact. That's what I tell people. I said, listen, whatever you do. You know, if these people need to know that you're serious and that you want their business, yep, right? Yep. So out of sight, out of mind. So you have to be in front of them somehow, whether it's email, you drop in, phone call, you know, go to these events if they're going to be there. And the interesting part is this, is that where what most people don't either know or maybe they, they're not aware of is that a lot of times, you know, the government will put up on that, even in that specific agency, and even in some of those divisions on their website, it actually mentions their mission, their directives, objectives, and challenges, right? And so you can use that as a way to start the conversation. Hey, listen, I was looking at your website and I noticed that your directives for the next couple of years is this. And hey, guess what? That just happens to be in our wheelhouse. That's the lane that we like to swim in. And um, 
we just want to understand a little bit more about that. You know, how do you envision doing that? And it's really about engaging them. Like you don't develop a relationship by saying you're the best, the top, blah, blah. They don't want to hear that because everyone can say that, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. But exactly what you said, man, it develop a relationship. And I'll tell you what, I've actually gotten referrals from people that never gave me a single dollar. Those are always great. Those are so funny. Right? We get those. Those are awesome. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's just because, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting, man. You, you just have to, you just have like my thing when I first got into government, I literally, I would buy blow pops. I would have blow pops <laughs> in my bag and I would just give everyone a blow pop that I would see. Right. It was so funny. So funny. They knew me as a lollipop man. So I, you know, I had this nickname and oh, I was a lollipop guy. Hey, what flavor do you have today? And then next thing you know, they're like, hey, so just out of curiosity, you know, what, what are you guys doing for your technology? Yeah, you know, I, I wish we could change this thing. Just, this is yeah. not good. You know, like, please help us. I was like, all right, who can I talk to? And then all of a sudden, then then they're opening up the door because they're now, they're like my internal salesperson. And next thing you know, now I'm getting into places that other people are just never going to get. Listen, at the, at the end of the day, you know, RFPs, there's all sorts of different information, misinformation that's out there about these RFPs, right? Some of them, the specs are so tightly written that you can kind of tell that someone helped shape those requirements, which is fine, you know? Um, and then, you know, there's RFPs that are just kind of very, they're, they're not as specific. Right. So, but the reality is, is that how do you build a relationship with someone when you never talk with them? Like you said. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, it just doesn't work. Now, the only thing is, like you said, you have to be consistent and you have to have some patience, but- you know, the good thing is that once you get in there, it typically grows, man, unless you mess it up. I mean, you know, right, for me, right. it was like, it just constantly grew. Like the second year was better than the, the first year. The third year was like amazing, you know, you know, and then it just kept on growing and growing and growing. And then, you know, people move and then, then all of a sudden they say, you know what, if you, if you need that done, you need to talk to Omar. And then, um, and that's basically how it goes. And then all of a sudden now you're getting referrals. It's not even, there's no competition anymore. You're the trusted advisor. You know, the account as a matter of fact, I never forget this. I had contracting officers call me, right? They have this thing. I didn't do it. I didn't work that. I didn't build that requirement. I didn't shape it up. Like, Oh my, listen, man, you know how to get things done. How would you get this done? And it wasn't even something that I did. And then next thing you know, you know, I would say, well, this is how I would do it. And they're like, you know what, can you do this? Can you put this together? And then next thing I would get contracts that I never, I never marketed, you know? And so, but it's really based on the fact of you knowing what they want, how they want it and what makes their life easier. And that's the bottom line. And once you, once you can do that, then, then you put yourself in a different perspective in front of that person. And that's what I try to accomplish. It just takes longer. I, I just, yeah. I come clean and I'm up front right out of the gate. Hey, it takes longer, but I tell you, you know, you're going to, you're going to reap the rewards in the long haul. And, but this process is something that's repeatable. Yeah. So with RFPs, I mean, listen, this RFP was written that way. That RFP is written this way, that RFP. And I'm not telling you don't do it because I respond to some RFPs. Right. So I, I'm so I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say, don't respond to RFPs. But if that RFP is in your wheelhouse and you're solid and you can write a good proposal, you know what? Why not do it? But if you're going to build your business, what I'm talking about is building a sustainable government business is what I'm talking about. Right. Right. Something that I can repeat. I can do it over and over again. I can train people on how to do it. I can scale it. I can bring people on. I can build a process around it and actually build a 
business around it. That's what I'm talking about. And this way is the way that you can actually do it. This is the way that, I mean, this is, listen, if you go look at the Lockheed's, like, I, I, you know, I rub shoulders with the Lockheed's and I'm actually, by the way, I'm an instructor in a business boot camp that's funded by the SBA and Lockheed Martin over in Rockville, Maryland. I've been instructing there for the last couple of years. I'm actually a graduate of that program uh, back in 2014. And what happens is when I talk with these people, they all say the same thing. They're like, listen, we have account experts. These people know the account. And what, once you know the account, then that is you put that puts you in a whole different perspective, right. a whole different place, completely different. Right. right. That's, it, that's the goal. Yep. And, you know, again, it's like I do value going after RFPs. In fact, I, I think when you look at RFPs, I don't think you should blindly do it. Absolutely. I think a lot of times you can find an RFP and the, the interesting thing about it is, you know, the contracting officer name is there and their contact information. Mm -hmm. And you can find an RFP that you'd like to go after, but you don't have the time to go after and still use it as a tool to reach out to the contracting officer. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's the thing where I, I've just been, it, it's funny how sometimes you coach all your clients on the same thing, right? So like mm -hmm. that's been a theme with a lot of my clients lately where I, I can't tell you how many of them I've had this exact conversation where I've said, even if the RFP is coming out next week and you know you're not going to respond, use as an opportunity to reach out to that contracting officer and say, hey, I'm not calling about this RFP. I just saw that it was on online. It's on It's on beta.sam. I'm not calling about it, but that's how you got on my radar. And I would like to work with you on future stuff. And I'd like to build a relationship because maybe that organization is not on your radar. You saw the RFP. You're late to the game. You're not going to win it. You don't want to respond, mm -hmm. but you want to use it as a tool to open a door and have a conversation. And so that's the value of looking at it and just not writing it off because I want to go back for a minute here and, and address something. I think when you're getting into government, I think the, the, the thing you need to get right is your mindset coming in and looking at all of the opportunities and all of the things that could be an opportunity like this RFP that's closing tomorrow or mm -hmm. next week. That's still an opportunity. The RFI that came out that you don't really want to respond to, that's an opportunity. This industry day, that's an opportunity. Getting rejected on an RFP, there's still an opportunity. So like, how can you turn all these things that are, well, this doesn't fit into, well, how can we turn it into an opportunity? And if you can get that mindset right going in, it's a total game changer. Like everything under the sun is an opportunity. You've just got to use it right. And that that's the big the big difference that I see for people. Yeah, you know, you, you bring up a very, very key point. And here's the thing. The government releases a lot of information. The question is, what does that information mean? How can I use it? And how can I benefit from it? Right. So I agree with you 100%. That's what I do. Actually, that's one of the things I do is that, you know, I look at these RFPs that are that are on the streets, and that are, hey, this is something I can do parts of it, I can't do all of it. But you know what, I'm going to note down this person's name, uh, because that's a person of interest for me, because now they're buying something. And if they're willing to listen to me, that's even a that's then that for me is yep. is huge, right? I mean, that's because not not everyone's going to listen to you, right? But um, but if you can develop a relationship with someone who who's willing to listen to you, 
and willing to work with you, then that just changes everything. Those are extremely important people. So I agree with you 100%. Like the, the beta.som, you got USA spending, you have all of these other paid tools. I mean, you could find, there's a lot of really good information out there. And I think that's where people really need help is like, okay, how do I start? What does this information mean? And maybe, maybe that's another session that, hey, listen. Yeah, that's a totally different other session. Exactly. Where, 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 you know, where, where we can just kind of, you know, you know, tell people like, this is how you would use this. This is how you would use that. This is the benefit of this. This is the benefit. This is what you don't want to do. You know, don't do this. And then, uh, and then go from, that's very, very important. So really, I, I think if, if I were to give any advice, I'm just from like, you know, almost 20 years of doing this, the information means something, you know, uh, the question is, how can I use it? And when do I use it? That's, an, that's another important yeah. question. And then, and then go from there. And then this way, then you can build your strategy on how you're going to approach that specific account. And if you're noticing that that particular contracting officer is doing the same thing, you know, multiple times a year, well, guess what? You best better develop a relationship with that person. Right. Because, you know, and that's another thing that we do is we identify, hey, listen, are there, you know, what do we define as a person of interest? And a person of interest who buys what you sell regularly is number one. That's that's a top priority to identify those. And then you identify the ones that buy, you know, maybe not regularly, Regularly, but they, they buy it often, consistently, maybe once a year, could be twice a year. And then, then you go, then, then you kind of go off to the ones if you have time, if you, if you don't find anyone fit that criteria, like every other year or every third year, because believe it or not, they will become a customer at some point in time if you make an attempt. And so if you know it's, you know, hey, they just issued this five-year contract last year, well, you know what? You probably should start planting the seed in year number three. Yeah, yeah put it on your radar. Exactly. And, 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 and hey, listen, you don't have to, you don't have to call them every week or every month or it's just, hey, just, t- just, just drop a line on them every once in a while. Hey, what's going on? I'm just tracking yeah. that thing. I know it's coming up soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's coming up soon. How's that contract going? I don't know. You need, you should probably call this person to find out more information. And then, then you can kind of get in and just find out from the program people. Okay, wait, how's that contract going? And, you know, and then they'll tell, oh, it's, it's great. And if they, oh, it's great. Yeah. We we'll never leave these guys, blah, 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 blah. Then, you know, you know what, maybe I may not invest as much time in that. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of intelligence that is, listen, at the end of the day, there's so many different ways to do it. You know, really the the key is just get to get started. It's really, there's a lot of information out there. And that's one of the things that that I like to do that. that, So when I first started in the nineties, we didn't have all of these tools that we had today. It was different, but the tools were very similar. I mean, I would go into their printing shop and I would get their actual account book. Like these agencies <laughs> would have an account book and I would, I would get out the account book and I'd literally take out the org chart and I put an Excel sheet of each box in that org chart. And I made it a point and in there, it shows you like the address of the main office for that box in the org chart. And then I would make sure I go to each one of those places and find out who I need to talk to and who are the key people, influencers, decision makers, who's the contract officer, who's the AO, who's the purchasing agent, who are the program people that are buying what that I'm interested that that have bought or would be interested in talking to me. And then that's how I build my roadmap back in the nineties. But now it's so much easier. I can do it from my computer. I mean, back then it was, it took a lot of time. It would take me a year just to build this database of an account book. I call it an account book. I have an account book strategy. So I build this account book. And the reason for it is if for any reason that person who built that account book that developed those relationships just happens to unplug for any reason, I can plug someone else in with the account book. Right. And so on top of that, once you have an account book, then you have this template of how to go, how to open up another account. 
and you just repeat it and you repeat it. And the account book is basically your Google Maps. I mean, you know, you got to know where you're going. Yeah. And, you know, uh, what I see a lot of people, they they often think, well, hey, I can just use this to go into another agency. Well, sort of. But when you're going to another agency, a lot of times you got to go back to this account book and use that as your map to build those relationships from scratch. And, and to build that up and just do it over and over. That's why we say, hey, don't focus on 30 of your top buyers. You know, focus on three to five, maybe 10 at the most. But, you know, start three to five, get a good system, get this figured out, focus on gathering this intelligence and, you know, and information and building those relationships. To me, it's like when you when you zoom out the in the commercial market, I can I can literally start a company on Monday and Monday afternoon, go get clients. Like if mm-hmm. you bang on enough doors, make enough phone calls, go to enough network, you can literally close deals in the same day or within 24 hours in the commercial world. Just not the way it works in government. And so mm-hmm. the timeline is so different. So to me, it's like spending that first six to 12 months just focused on building the pipeline, putting things in there. And and I'm not saying not winning along the way because you can win a lot of stuff in your first year in business. Mm -hmm. But looking at your first year in business as anything you win is kind of like gravy. You know, that's that's icing on the cake, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, whatever you want to look at it. But that first year is all about setting up the future long-term success. And how can I put those things in my roadmap? How can I put contracts in there? Like you said, they just closed a five-year deal. So, okay, that's going in my roadmap. They just closed a two-year deal, a one-year deal. It's going in my roadmap. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, you go from a pipeline that's maybe a million or so in your first year to, hey, my my two-year pipeline is like four million. My three-year pipeline is like 10 million, you know, it's because there's all these things that are coming into your radar that if you don't just dismiss them, they start to pan out. They start to become opportunity. They, they start to, um, they, they help you engage with your potential customers to have conversations because, you know, you know that this contract is closing in the, the spring of next year. So you're talking in the winter more or in the summer, in the winter, more about this thing that's coming in the spring and having those conversations and and stuff like that. Because, you know, the second half of of the conversation about, hey, well, the first half, I guess, of this conversation was about, you know, how do you find some stuff? The second, how do you talk to these people? Well, you you need stuff to talk to them about. And what better than the stuff that's on their radar? You know, the stuff that they're important, you know, so, hey, I know this is coming in the spring. We should probably be talking about that now, shouldn't we? Little yeah, things all, like that, yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Because, listen, at the end of the day in sales, we're always taught there's one radio station that the customer tunes into, and that's WIFM. What's in it for me? Yep. Right. And so if it, if it's, if you always tailor the conversation around them, Hey, listen, we want to, we, we, we want to be a partner for you so that we can help you achieve and reach your mission directives and objectives. If you were to pick any one of them, which one would you say are the ones that you're more focused on to achieve? Yeah. And then this way, now I have, okay, now they're looking at this. And now the reason why I like that approach is because if it's a mission directive or an objective, that means they're going to buy it. They're going to spend money on it, right? If it's like an ancillary thing, like, you know, it's a copier or it's a printer. I mean, yeah, it's breaking down. It'd be nice to have. But man, if you're tailoring that conversation towards mission, directives, objectives, concerns that they've identified that is in their roadmap that they publish, then guess what? There's a there's a motivating factor for them to act on it. And that's and that for me is where I like to hey, listen, okay, your objective is to go, you know, paperless or hey, we're going to digitize. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to look at that. 
Right. I'm going to focus on, hey, listen, we have a solution or we have ways to help you achieve that directive. Oh, really? Oh, my. Well, how? Well, here's how we do it. And then you once you are once you can articulate it to them and they're like, you know what? That makes good sense. You know what? Right. Let's let, let, let me get my people together and let, let's have a conference. And, and that's exact. That's actually that's a real scenario, by the way, that just happened a couple of years ago. And we got the contract and we just it was a three year contract that we just got in September of last year. We just finished the uh, we just completed the first year. So we still have a couple of years left. But that's exactly how that happened. It, they weren't even right. thinking about it, but it, you know, in their mission directives and objectives, wh- one of the things didn't say to digitize, but it was it was a problem that they were having. They're trying to solve, and we came with a solution and told us to solve that problem. It just turned out to be that if we did this, then it would solve that problem, yeah. right? So, so problems. So these are the kinds of things that you know you learn after doing this for a while. And I never forget, man, when I first you know, when I first started my company and then, you know, we, uh, I, I got one of my first clients and we were helping them. And basically it started off, you know, with like it's $80,000 thing. It took us a few months, another $80,000 thing. All of a sudden it gave us a $900,000 contract. And these are all sole source, by the way, these were never hit a bid board. The following year we booked $14 million. And then the year after that, it was like another few million dollars, like little over $7 million. And what happens is that it's a very addicting, right? And it's, and it's, so once they, once you really deliver, like you give them the service, you know, and and you solve a problem, they're like, you know what? You really helped me out. I owe, you know, it's not that I owe you one, but you know what? I got something else. Can you help me with this? And, and all of a sudden you wind up really developing that. Then you're ingrained. And that's like you said, instead of going for like 10 accounts and I call it surface hunting, right? Right. Like I really like to get vertical into accounts because once you get vertical, the majority of companies never get vertical, man. I mean, they're just lit the first layer, maybe the second layer, when I see an account where it's good size and you know, there's a lot of opportunity in that account, I definitely absolutely love to get vertical and just get all the way knee deep into that account. When you get knee deep, there is very, very limited, almost zero competition. At that point, they're like, Omar, I need your help. Yeah, it's not like I don't sell anything anymore. Yeah, yeah. You see, most people, at least in the sales world, will get an inch deep and a mile wide. And we're like, no, go an inch wide, a mile deep. You know, like go go deep so that you protect that account and you actually, you know, get some traction with them. And so the one thing I'll say before I let you close this up here, if you are gathering intelligence like this and you're getting to know those customers and you're finding out problems that they have going on, there's a lot of problems you're going to find that you can't fix. Mm-hmm. But guess what? That makes a great conversation for your teaming partners. And it, it makes you that person that you're bringing teaming partners in. And once you do that once or twice, guess what the teaming partners want to do? They want to work with you more. And they open up opportunities to you. And so don't dismiss things that you can't solve if you know someone who can. Like solve the problem for the customer. Even if you deal with a teaming partner who says, look, clearly given what this is, we can't bring you in. We can't give you a piece of the contract. Okay, fine. That's fine. At minimum, you're still helping your customer solve the problem. Right. You're still you're still a problem solver for that customer. You've introduced them to that person that's helping them solve the problem. Make sure they're good because I guarantee you, if you introduce them to someone who's not good, you will hear about that. <laughs> And you will be, I I remember this one guy, this was a long time ago, and this is why I never, ever refer websites to people. This was a commercial client. They had been clients for years and they said, hey, we need to redo this website. And, you know, do you have any recommendations? And I'm like, well, I I know a guy. I said, I don't know him that well, but I, I know him. 
He's done some really good work for me. Do your own due diligence. This is how I set it up, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it still came back where they were hounding me all the time because he was dropping the ball on some stuff. And so, Mm -hmm. like, I never, I was like, I'm never recommending this guy again to anyone ever. But when I do recommend people that are that are really good, it, it's like people come back and they thank me so much. They're, thank you so much for introducing me to Ashley or Josh or mm-hmm. Carrie or whoever it is. Thank you so much. This has been so helpful. This is this has been a game changer in my life. And you know, hey, I've got this other problem. Can you solve it? Hey, can we work with you on this? And it just it really changes things. So what I what I want to do is just real quick. Any final thoughts for our listeners today on on building these relationships and, and getting in? I, I would say the most important thing, if you can, if you have the capacity or the bandwidth or the financial capability is hire a mentor. It's well, well worth it. I'm not saying that just to hire me or anything like that at all. But listen, it's just like anything else. If you're going to do a job at home, some kind of project, if you watch a YouTube video, it makes it a lot easier for you yeah, to do yeah. it. Oh, it's yeah. the same concept, you know, just in the beginning, just have someone at least guide you, you know, tell you how to do it. And then after that, you can unplug whenever you're ready. You know, just yeah. don't get, you know, you may not want to get into like a long-term agreement with, with a, an entity like that, but I would highly recommend highly, like I, I can't even stress it enough. And the government has already learned that the mentor protege program is very effective. So these yeah. protégés usually do really well, the mass, you know, a lot of them. So it's a, it's a proven model. It's not, it's not like, it's just like anything else. If you help someone, you know, uh, you know, you show them the ropes, they're going to do well. And, and that's what I would say if anything, if I, if you would walk away from anything from what I said today is, you know, try to nudge up with someone or a company that's been doing it, that understands it and learn from them, you know, and then, and then go from there. And that's, I, I I don't even, I don't know how that right there, in my opinion, is one of the most important and key things. Yeah. Well, you know, I was going to shut up after this and, uh, but, but being that you said that, you know, I, I love obviously being in, in the business where we are coaches, mentors, whatever you want to call us. I, I think it's really, really sound advice. I will say one of the things that changed my life was hiring a coach. Mm. So when I first got out of government, so like I went in the military, I came out, I started uh, working for a company. I was just crushing it. I was green, just like you were talking about, didn't know anything about it to we're making millions a year in sales, doing really well. One day I wake up, decide to get out, start my own company. Within three months of doing that, I hired a coach within yeah. my first three months because there were so many things. Even though I was a huge success in corporate, mm-hmm. I didn't know a lot of things about running my own business. I didn't know a lot of things about how I was going to do what I wanted to do. And at a minimum, I needed somebody to just kind of ask me questions. In, and not to use this term, but like kind of in a safe environment where like I didn't want to go out and just ask anybody to do this. I wanted to ask a trusted advisor. So I hired a Tony Robbins coach. Mm. It, it was it was more of a life coach at the time, but mm-hmm. they had just started in some of the business. They didn't do a lot of business coaching back then. I mean, it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I hired a Tony Robbins coach. I hired him for three months. As we went through, it helped me say, oh, well, I really, I don't want to be a consultant. I want to be more of a coach. And this is kind of how I want to do things. And it really helped frame my mindset on how I wanted to move forward. And there's a lot of things I did in that three months, 20 years ago, that are still part of my foundation today because that's what it it really, again, it really shaped me in how I wanted to do things. And over the years, I can't tell you how much money I've spent on coaches. In the, I won't say tens of thousands because that's wrong. I would say in the six figures 
Right. So I, I've probably invested somewhere in the 150 to nearly $200,000 over the last 20 years in coaching to fine tune me, my processes and what I do. And I, and I translate that all back into our clients. And so again, I'm not trying to make this a, a coaching you know, type of advertisement, but mm-hmm. just as somebody who is a coach, one of the first things I did was hire one. It's, it's what I did. You know, like I'm, I'm literally a, an example of that. And I, I just don't regret it. Some you have for a couple of months, some you have for a few years, you know, it right. just depends on where you're at and what you need. But, you know, having that in your life is just, it, it is a game changer for me. It always has been. And so I, I highly recommend whether it's myself, whether it's Omar, whether it's Josh, whether it's any one of the people in the game changers book or someone else you Google online, there's there's somebody out there you can connect with that can kind of ride shotgun with you and help you get an advantage over where you're at today. So that that's my soapbox on coaching. Um, Omar, thanks for coming on today. I appreciate everything you said, and I look forward to having you on again. Thanks for having me, Mike. It was a pleasure, man. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.